Turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles 32. Poor King Hezekiah is surrounded by Assyrians under the headship of Sennacherib. And you know the story of the 185,000. But I just want one verse here about his prayer. Second Chronicles 32 and verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Where did he get the words, for there be more with us than with him? From Second Kings 6, about Elisha opening the eyes of the servant to see the mountains around Dothan filled with the flaming chariots and angels of God. And here Hezekiah is later appealing to that event, encouraging the people, and they rested in those words of Hezekiah. Because there was a great multitude, 185,000 soldiers. You know, if there are 6,000 in a legion, how many legions do we have? Well, 31 legions. That's a lot. They're all dead corpses in the morning. Because there was more with them. But remember, the Lord's host only needed one to get involved for the 185,000. And so we think about the innumerable number, the countless number of the angels. Daniel chapter 7. I want you to know that there's an Old Testament witness to what John saw in Revelation chapter 5. In order to approach the understanding of the book of Revelation, in order to understand Matthew 24, in order to understand 2 Thessalonians 2, New Testament prophecies, you want to ground yourself with a solid understanding of the book of Daniel. Because Daniel's prophecies come first, they are easier, most of them have already been fulfilled, and so there is a lesson there of how a prophecy is made and how it is fulfilled. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, let him that readeth understand, referring to the prophecies of Daniel, that there was understanding to be found by starting in Daniel. For those of you that have read some of the correspondence that I have with people who write and ask about prophecy, if they want to know about the two witnesses in Revelation 14, I just tell them, let's get started in Daniel. Because what does it matter if I tell you the fulfillment of two prophecies the two witnesses in Revelation 14, if you don't know all the surrounding matter of Bible prophecy, you're just playing games. It's really a foolish and unlearned question. Why don't you start where Jesus told us to start and work forward? And so there's a lot of things in Daniel. If you read Daniel and get familiar with it, especially chapter 7, Revelation chapters 12, 13, 17, and 18 are quite easy. Daniel chapter 7, talking about the little horn that grows out of the Roman kingdom. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. 
thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. There's ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, just like we find in Revelation chapter 5. Again, Daniel is so important to the understanding of New Testament prophecies. And what I want to mention here very briefly, which I've already done enough of, is that the army of heaven is countless. It's an innumerable company of angels that we are in association with by being members of this church and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are other churches around the world where they are believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are come unto Mount Zion as well as we. When God is called the Lord of hosts, 235 times in the Bible, God of hosts, about 69 times, and so forth, it's referring to this countless army that God is in charge of. He is the Lord of hosts. We sing in a song written by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sing that He is the Lord of Sabaoth. Do you remember the email that I sent you a couple of weeks ago from Brother Jeff about the Lord of Sabaoth? Is Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath? Yes, He is. Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 2. So if you're not instructed in the way of the Lord, you will sing that song and you'll think there's a typo here. It should be Lord of the Sabbath and you'll be thinking Matthew chapter 12 verse 7 and you'll be very content in your error. But Lord of Sabaoth is hosts coming into Greek and then into English. Sabaoth is hosts, the Lord of hosts. We have it twice in the New Testament referring to God. Angels are organized. They're called principalities in power. A principality is a small, is a, a position, dominion, rule, or government of a prince. That's why it's called principality. A territory, of a territory. In scripture, the angelic princes with great authority among the angels are called principalities because they're over segments or territories or parts of the angelic realm. Power. One with authority, rule, or government. They're angels with control or government. In the Bible, they're called principalities and powers and other words like that. When we wrestle against the devil, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, we are wrestling against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We are wrestling against spirits that are organized and have ranks all the way up to an archangel and down. And they have other names as well. We could go to Daniel and look at some of those princes, and we could find out that the chief prince is named Michael the archangel, aided a weaker angel that was held up by the princes of Grecia and Persia in the 10th chapter of Daniel. By Michael's action prior to the crucifixion, we know that Satan was a greater angel than he. The Lord rebuke thee. After the crucifixion, Michael and his angels fought, and the devil and his angels fought in Revelation chapter 12, and who won? Michael and his angels, by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, there wasn't room in heaven for the devil and the Lord Jesus Christ. He defeated, and they defeated them, us saints, the remnant church of Jesus Christ defeated the devil by the blood of the Lamb. A Roman legion. Twelve legions could have been called. Seventy-two thousand angels, Jesus testified in Matthew 26. You know, the angels are meek. 
Even though they're greater in power and might, they don't bring railing accusations against human rulers, even the worst of them. As we read, as we closed the first service this morning from 2 Peter 2, verses 10 through 12, when Manoah, the father of Samson, asked for an angel's name, they're not given because their names are not important. They're very meek. All the glory they direct to God. When John in Revelation 22 fell at the feet of an angel, the angel said, don't worship me, worship God. I'm one of your brethren. I have the same kind of office that you and the prophets have of revealing the will of God. I gave you that text last Lord's Day. It's verses 8 and 9 of Revelation 22. I love those two little verses because the angel describes himself on a level with us because we're all serving God who is not on a level with us. Worship God. You know, when the Bible says we are made a little lower than the angels or Jesus was in his humanity, I think of a book. You know, if I laid a book against... This is just a poor example. If I laid this book on the floor against this wall, I would say that we are the bottom cover and the angels are the top cover and God's the ceiling. Because we're so far from the infinite nature and being of the God that we worship. Because the angels are just creatures and we're creatures along with them. But praise be to God, we have been promoted by adoption over them so that we are the sons of God. Angels are respectful. Michael the archangel didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan the devil even though he had fallen and was obviously under God's judgment and was confined and restrained in chains under the great day of judgment. Angels worship. Look at Psalm 148. They love to worship. We should love to worship because we have more reason to worship. Psalm 148. You know what Revelation 5 is like. And you know what we just sang in some of those well-selected songs? Angels love to worship, but we have more reason to. Psalm 148 verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Angels are directed to praise, and they fulfill that. They celebrated and sang and rejoiced in the day when God laid the foundation of the world. According to the first seven verses of Job 38, the angels were there and saw the creation. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, God told the angels, Let all the angels of God worship Him. What split the sky over the Judean countryside where the shepherds were gathered with their flocks, but a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and glorifying the Savior that had been sent into the world. They worship. Angels reveal. Look at Deuteronomy 33 and verse 2. Angels revealed the law of God to the church of the Old Testament. Now, you're not going to have the word angel here, but don't be alarmed. We compare Scripture with Scripture to fill in definitions. Deuteronomy 33.1, And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he's going to give a little history in his blessing. Verse 2, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai, and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints 
from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people, and it goes on to describe God's love for the Old Testament church. But I want you to notice in verse 2, he came with ten thousands of saints. What is the word saint? A sanctified one. What is a sanctified one? A holy one. Did you have holy ones in Daniel chapter 4? Amen. Okay, let's look at some other passages of Scripture to help us out here. Let's go to Psalm 68 and verse 17. This is just one of the little trails that we could take in studying angels. Psalm 68 and verse 17, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. See, we're tipped off by David in the book of Psalms about those saints of Deuteronomy 33. But as we come over into the New Testament, let's go to the sermon by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. The law was given by the disposition of angels. Angels gave that law, and and it was given in the hands of a mediator who was Moses. Acts chapter 7. It says in verse 53, "...who have received the law," speaking about the Jews... Acts 7.53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Continuing to turn, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. I'm helping you understand the word saints as it appears in some places. Are, Are we sometimes called saints? Yes, we are. Are the angels sometimes called saints? Yes, they are. So we learn to rightly divide the word of truth by the context. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So see, God came down on Mount Sinai, but ten thousands of His angels also came down on Mount Sinai, and the law was given by them. They reveal things. They revealed things to Joseph, didn't we? We learned that from Matthew chapter 2. In order to go down into Egypt to save the young child's life and when to come back and to turn aside because he was a little afraid. Many times that Philip was informed by the angel of where to find the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And Jesus sent his angel to signify the book of Revelation to the apostle John. The first verse tells us that, and verse 16 of chapter 22 tells us that. That the things he learned were sent to him by an angel. In fact, the angel of the Lord Jesus, as he is described there. With the more sure word of prophecy, do we need the angels revealing anything to us? No. Not in a spiritual way like this. No law, no gospel. We have the law. We have the gospel. We have all that we need. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We don't need any more revelation. We have a more sure word of prophecy already. But they did once reveal in a spiritual way to God's prophets. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.10 while we're on this particular point about angels revealing things. I got a, a lengthy email yesterday from a man 
wanting to convince me that we were wrong about not speaking in tongues and wanting to share why he believed that speaking in tongues was right. And so he described lying on his bed and feeling the power of God start at my toes, purifying my blood as it came up through my body until I was tossing there on my bed, speaking in tongues. Among other things that that I wrote back to him, just a few things, I said, you ought to confess your sin to God for being such a willing vessel for the devil. Where, where is anything like that described in this book? Right. Hey, have you ever met anyone that says they've seen an angel? What if they have seen an angel? What did the angel say to you? Well, he said such and such. If it was true, then it's already in the Bible. Right. Who needs the angel? If it's not true, it wasn't an angel of God. Right. So, do you know what? We don't need angels to reveal anything to us because we've already got it in the Word of God. They already helped in the giving of the Word of God. How many angels might have been involved in Wycliffe's life or Tyndale's life? We don't know. We just know that God gave the Old Testament by the disposition of angels. Why weren't angels involved in the New Testament? We know they were because they would tell the apostles things. They would tell the prophets things, and they would tell the Old Testament prophets things. We want to be very careful about this. When someone, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2. When someone comes to you and says, but an angel told me, that is hard to deal with. You weren't there. You can't refute them. They're saying that an angel told me this. We would we would quote scripture that shows we have an all sufficient revelation of God's will in the Bible already, and that we don't care about the angel. That if the angel told him something true, we can already establish that from the Bible. Therefore, removing any need for the angel. If the angel told them anything that wasn't in the Bible, then they just learned something that they didn't need, or is wrong. And so we always bring everything back to the scriptures. Because men love to reason that way, especially those of the charismatic Pentecostal sort. I've had a vision. I've had a feeling. It came up through my blood, starting in my feet. I have a word of knowledge. Do you want a word of knowledge? Read the book of knowledge. I have a word of wisdom. Someone has kidney stones in this stadium of 15,000 people. Yes, I would think that there are a few cases of kidney stones there. I have a word of wisdom. Or to you in TV land, I have a word of knowledge. There's someone out there with kidney stones. If you'll get up and put your hand on the television, I'll pray for you. And that ain't no angel even if he does wear a white suit and white patent leather shoes. Our friend Benny, and I speak as a fool, takes one to know one. Hebrews 2.2, 2, another reference. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? 
You know, the New Testament gospel was spoken by Jesus Christ and then by his apostles. The Old Testament was given by the disposition of angels in those variety of passages. It is important for us right now, though the angels revealed things to prophets and to apostles like the Apostle Paul when he was on that ship, uh, like Philip when he was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, though the angels did reveal things, we have the full revelation of God now. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is an important passage. And this is a passage that this particular fellow that wrote wanted to take me apart about, but let's see if it was an angel of wisdom that came to him or an angel of deception. Because here is one of our arguments. This is what our fathers in the faith have used to say that the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge, those words of knowledge, those short-term, partial, incomplete blessings of God for knowledge only existed before the New Testament was complete. Once the New Testament was complete, there was no need for those gifts, so they all went away. 1 Corinthians 13, you know where this chapter is stuck. It's between chapters 12 and chapters 14, both of which are about the gifts in the church at Corinth. Chapter 13 is about love. But while it's talking about love as being the superior way of serving Jesus Christ, and these charismatics make me sick when they write to me and they want to push the gift of tongues when the Bible says that you can be greater than an apostle by learning love as defined in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I ask every single one of them, why are you digging to the bottom of the trash bin looking for the gift of tongues? 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31 says it's the least gift ever given to the church. 1 Corinthians 14 says that preaching is 2,000 times better, 2,000 times better than speaking in tongues. Because they're all messed up. Because you can fake tongues. Why don't they want to do miracles? I'll provide the snakes. Why don't they want to do miracles? I'll bring the poison. Chris and Chris will assist me in the matter. We'll bring the poison and see if they can drink a deadly thing. Because you can fake tongues. You can fake some healings. If they could heal, empty out the cancer floor at GHS. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Charity never faileth. It is going to be around for all time. Charity never fails. It always works. It's always there. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Okay. When it says in verse 8, prophecies shall fail, does that mean that God has made a prophecy and the prophecy is not going to come to pass? No. It means the gift of prophecy would no longer exist. When it says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, does that mean that all languages will disappear from the earth? This is the letter that I got by the man that had the Holy Ghost crawling up his body through his bloodstream. This is what he wanted to tell me about this verse. Are all languages going to disappear? No. This is the gift of speaking tongues as the day of Pentecost 
illustrates for us. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Is all knowledge going to disappear in heaven? No, God's religion is one that is full of knowledge. This is the partial gift of knowledge. This is the partial gift of knowledge, the gift of tongues, the, and the partial gift of prophecy that they had before there was a completed New Testament. So it says in verse 9, For we know in part, our knowledge right now is only partial, and we prophesy only in part, because the gift of prophecy is only partial. Do you remember how the prophets were to work? One prophet could pop up and go off for four or five minutes, and all of a sudden he's at the end of his tether, and he doesn't have anything else to say, and he sits down, and the Lord gives another prophet something to say, and he pops up. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 of how to manage that in a church assembly because they didn't have it all pulled together yet. But when that which is perfect is come, is the perfect law of liberty, James chapter 1. It's the more sure word of prophecy, Second Peter chapter 1, and it is what is able to make the man of God perfect. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's the completed scriptures. Knowledge isn't going away. Prophecy isn't going away. The partial gifts of those things are going away because that which is perfect will arrive when in a church assembly we will no longer need those partial gifts. Let's keep reading. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Children only know a little bit. Men know all that's needed to be known. This is the development and maturation of the church of Jesus Christ in its childish stages. The Old Testament was the childish, most childish of all. The New Testament during the time of Reformation was childish until the completed New Testament canon came into place. Then we could become men. This is how Paul, I've taught this many times, but lay a hold of it because it applies to angels. When angels have to demonstrate themselves visibly to us, that's a childish time in the church. When you need to see a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, when you need to see Mount Sinai shaking, when you need to have trumpets and cymbals and instruments of ten strings and all that stuff, that's because you're in a childish stage of worship. But as worship develops, God says He's looking for those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not all that outward stuff. It disappears. So the miracles disappeared. The prophets disappeared. The tongues disappeared. And the visible demonstration by angels disappeared. It all went away at once. Because the church was growing up. We have something better than that. We have the written Word of God. That's why you've never seen an angel, though there are 800 occurrences of angels in here. And don't go looking for them. Trust the Lord, because they're invisible. Sometimes they would reveal themselves. We don't need that. We know they're there. And we believe and we trust God. For now we see through a glass, darkly. It was very obscure in the early days of the New Testament church, but then, face to face, we, instead of looking through this obscure piece of glass and trying to see our reflection or someone else through it, we're going to be able to see face to face. And when you're face to face with someone, every blemish and fault shows up because you're right there. This is not face to face with Jesus. This is face to face in a new way of seeing things in detail without any obscurity because the partial gifts of prophecy and knowledge will go away and the perfect gift will arrive. 
The passage is not about the second coming of Jesus. The passage is about the fact that charity trumps all these gifts because all these gifts are temporary and are going away. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. There's nothing in here about the second coming. Face to face, just because you know of a song in your hymn book that speaks of seeing Jesus face to face, that isn't in this chapter. This, you want to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Then go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Do you want to talk about it again? Then go to 1 Corinthians 15. But don't go to 1 Corinthians 13. Holy Ghost coming up my blood. But it just reminded me that I needed to share that with you again from this passage. There's a dozen different ways that we can prove that tongues ended. But this is our favorite one. Right here in 1 Corinthians 13. They don't reveal anymore. We don't see angels anymore. The ungodly desire for the supernatural is sin now. We want to be super careful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And Dave, I commend you for using our pulpit for your reading and mentioning some of these things. I wanted 2 Corinthians 11. We're just going to use verse 13. The wire nuts sometimes get put in the wrong places. 2 Corinthians 11. Do you remember, brethren, from Deuteronomy 13, that if a man comes along and is able to perform a miracle, but he is speaking something contrary to God's word, should you be afraid of that man because of the miracle? Can false prophets sometimes pull off miracles? Oh, yes, they can. Is there a mystery of iniquity that works in the Roman Catholic Church? Have they sometimes been able to pull off weeping statues and the rest of their junk? Sometimes. The mystery of iniquity works there. Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 told us, if a man comes and is able to perform a miracle, if he teaches anything other than what the Word of God teaches, do not fear him and put him to death. Those charismatics out there, I don't care if they do, if they get a miracle once in a while by the power of the devil or the Lord allowing them to do it. Their doctrine is contrary to the Word of God. We should never be afraid of them. Most of their miracles have been proven not to be miracles anyway. And when I say most, it is so close to 100% that you probably wouldn't be able to separate it. Thanks to 2020, 60 Minutes, and other programs like that that have gone and chased down those people that have thrown their wheelchairs and crutches away as they, as they limp and get rolled to their cars on the way out. The power of psychosis in a large crowd is, is something to learn about, but we're just going to ignore it. This passage tells us that another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit might be received by the Corinthians because Paul was afraid of them, and he says that in verses 3 and 4. Not everything that is called Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. Right. Not everything that's called a spirit is the spirit of God. And not everything that's called a gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want verses 13 through 15 about these false teachers that would come and teach false doctrine. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, 
For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We want to be careful about ever listening to anyone that talks about, I've had a vision. I heard God. I saw an angel. Because look at what these verses warn against. And that is that Satan himself can turn himself into an angel of light. And if he can do that, then other devils, other false prophets can turn themselves into what appear to be ministers of righteousness and even into the apostles of Christ. So everything gets measured by the word of God. And it gets measured strictly by the word of God. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Even if we were to have some shining personage appear up here with wings, you know, and looking like a, a flash of lightning around the interior of our meeting place, and he said anything contrary to the word of God, we would know it was of the devil. We wouldn't listen to anything he had to say anyway about revelation. We have a perfect revelation. And we would tell him that. We would tell him to glorify God. We would tell him to worship Jesus Christ on the authority of God's Word. We're not looking for those kind of events. But there are a lot of people that look for those events and they put stock in them. And because you weren't there, and because they value that emotional experience more than the truth of God's Word, you can't reason with them. It's a terrible predicament. We never want anything to happen to us that dilutes our submission and humility and respect for every word of God in the Bible. First John chapter four. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved. First John four one. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. This is Satan and his devils taking over false teachers and influencing them with false doctrine. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out of the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. They were denying the literal, bodily, physical incarnation of the Son of God on earth. This was a particular heresy of these times in which Jesus had not come in the flesh. It was an apparition. He was an angel. He had not come with our nature. It was all an illusion. And so that this particular doctrinal point is when you hear another man You can try him as to what he says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he come in the flesh? Did he have a real human body? Or was it an apparition? He had a real human body. Ye are of God, little children, verse 4, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's Jesus versus the devil. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. Now watch, we... We apostles and you Christians, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is who will hear the apostles. 
We believe in apostolic tradition. We believe in apostolic doctrine. We will not vary from them. We don't care about new apostles coming up. We've got an apostle and an apostoless in our city, and we deny them both that office. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ put down their doctrine in writing for us. And we have a completed canon of 27 books. And that's where we trust. Angels should discourage fear. Look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91. The effect of angels should discourage fear. Verse 9. Because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Psalm 91. Angels. The numbers that were around the city of Dothan when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Hungry lions, God closed their mouths by an angel. Peter was delivered from prison on two occasions, Acts 5 and Acts 12. We should remember and not be afraid. They're executing the will of God for us. Have you ever wondered why you were not killed in a collision? Angels may have protected you at that time. Even at the hour of death, we shouldn't be afraid They will not lose a single one because Jesus Christ, their captain, will not lose a single one. We are already coming to union with that church which is above. And if one soul is lost, the whole thing is lost. The Bible says that if you can overthrow the covenant that God made with David, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can overthrow the covenant of the day and night. Do you know what I can promise you about what's going to happen in 12 hours? Well, I've preached a little longer. In six hours, it's going to get dark. And it's going to be night. And do you know what I can tell you 12 hours after that? It's going to be day. And when you can overthrow the covenant that God has made with the day and the night, then you can overthrow the covenant that God's made with His children. Not a single one will be lost. We should never be afraid. Angels discourage frustration. If Balaam had considered his ass just a little bit better... He could have saved himself some grief and terror and saying some things to his ass that weren't very nice. The ass didn't appreciate them. Have you ever hit ever hit a red light? Oh. Oh. Let red lights bother you? Sometimes they bother you. How do you know they're not holding you up? To save you from something worse. Let's not be frustrated. You know, it's out of your control anyway. What are you going to do? Go home and type them a letter and say, I'd like the ratio of that light from red and green to be changed at such and such an intersection because I was late to work and I couldn't get there on time. We like the way you explained that to us, sir. If we trust the Lord, He will send His angel to provide even a marriage partner. You got that in that email from Brother Jeff. Genesis 24, verse 7. Genesis 24, verse 40. The angel was going to go with this servant. And this servant was overwhelmed. To go several hundred miles away and find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac? How was he going to do that? Did the Lord take care of it? Oh, the Lord took care of it. 
We shouldn't be frustrated. Just, just do what the Lord expects us to do in a reasonable way and go to bed. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing what you should. There was a servant, and he did have some camels, and he did have some nice jewelry for women. And he did go several hundred miles. And he did take a pretty serious oath from Abraham. He did his part, but then he relied on the Lord and his angels to do the rest. You know, angels should encourage our hospitality. We got that one down, don't we? Yeah. Hebrews 13.2, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The next stranger that comes to town, you know, we should have a list that's longer than the church membership because some will have jumped in there more than once. Angels should encourage prayer. David prayed the angel of the Lord to be the destroyer of his enemies. Psalm 35. To know that God sent an answer to Daniel while he was still praying... In Daniel chapter 9, that's an encouragement to prayer. Angels should encourage righteousness. Nebuchadnezzar saw a watcher and a holy one that saw the errors in his attitude toward his government. I'm supposed to remember angels in dealing without partiality to you as a church. 1 Timothy 5.21 There is an appeal made by Paul to Timothy about the elect angels. Vows better be taken seriously and you better not tell the angel that it was a mistake. When you make a vow and then you find out it's going to be more costly than you originally thought it was going to be, you should not say, that was a mistake, I made that vow. Ecclesiastes 5, 6, the angel's going to hear that and you're going to be in trouble. Women better have long hair. I said something to someone this morning that women with short hair should go home and put some fertilizer on their heads because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 16, long hair is a symbol of a woman's being under the authority of her husband. And it says in that passage that the angels are watching the hair length of women. The angels have a great respect for authority, and so should we. The angels can see everything that we do. We ought to remember that. And they report to the Lord. I hope that you remember 1 Kings 22 about the angels raising their hands and giving the Lord alternatives as to what he could do to get Ahab to battle and remember that it is that personal that you know when you think of a hundred million angels you think well it can never be personal oh that was very personal how do we get Ahab to battle one angel says this idea another says a second idea and the third angel says I'll go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets go and prosper that's pretty personal we're talking about one man I hope that you enjoyed Ezekiel chapter 9. That's another view of assigned angels. Does it say the men that were in charge of the city draw near? There were men, angels, responsible for the city of Jerusalem. Draw near. And they drew near with their destroying weapons. Start at the sanctuary. Do you know why? Because they know the most and they should know better. We should know better. We better be living the holy and righteous lives that we've been taught. I preached that to you 11 years ago already. Lord, help us to sigh and cry by reason of the abominations around us.
If you ever feel that no one cares about you, I want you to remember Hagar. She was a despised, God-forsaken female Egyptian slave, used sexually without love, divorced, unprotected, fired, pregnant, lost, and alone. You say, why would you call her God-forsaken? Because she was an Egyptian. But she wasn't forsaken, is my whole point. Thou God seest me. Genesis chapter 16 is wonderful. Two angels saved Lot out of Sodom's fire even though there weren't ten righteous souls. Do you know how hard Abraham worked? Do you know that Abraham was terrified? He says, now that I've opened my mouth with the Almighty, I'm going to go four, five less. If there's 45, the Lord says, I'll spare it even if there's only 45. 40, 30, 20, 10. And Abraham quits. When they got there, they only found one or four depending on who's the most charitable here today. Because the lives of the wife and the two daughters don't tell me that they belong in the category of the righteous. But let's say four. Even though there were only four found, were those angels still merciful? Because Lot was a righteous man, and Second Peter chapter 2 tells us that he was a righteous man. He spared that family even though there was only four. Now, what else did he have to do? Did Lot want to leave? Lot did not want to leave. So did the angels take him and his wife by their hands and drag them out of that city? Is that merciful? We're never going to see an angel do that to us. I will not tell stories. But angels can stop men from sinning and pull them out of cities like that. He gets out of the city. Lot sees the little town of Zoar. Look at This is just a little one. Can I go here? It's just a little one. See, it's just a little one. Okay, we have heard thee in this matter as well. Go ahead into Zoar. Then when the fire and brimstone fell, Lot knew that he ought to be in the mountains. In the meantime, his wife had looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. But I want you to know that it was angels that went into that city And in spite of all that took place there and in spite of Lot's foolishness for having pitched his tent toward Sodom and then having moved inside it, even though he lingered, even though he foolishly desired the little city of Zoar, God's angels were merciful to him. Are you thankful for a God in heaven with mercy like that and uses his angels to get us out of trouble at times? Did you ever want to do something wrong and you couldn't execute it? John chapter 5. If you're dying... I'm going to be turning to Luke 16:22 or 2 Kings 2 about the angels coming for you. If I have enough supporting cast, we'll sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. That is a wonder. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home. Right. Of course, your home's here, right? You love this world and all the goodies that it offers you. And so you don't want those angels to swing low and carry you home? But if you're sick, you're going to get this from me. Because I believe it. Because the Bible shows it. And if you ask me, were angels involved in human health in the New Testament? I would ask you to go find out how many of the diseases in the Gospels, the four Gospel accounts, were caused by spirits. The lunatic was a lunatic by a spirit. The dumb was dumb and could not speak by a spirit. 
the infirm lady that was bent over had a spirit of infirmity in her. And there's numerous references to that fact. And then there's this that was read to us by Brady. John chapter 5. And I I just got to share this with you again because verse 4 isn't in the NIV. Verse 4 is not in the ESV. And if you don't have verse 4, you don't have a John 5, 1 through 9. Because then it reads, verse 2, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Can you see this impotent man that has no strength scratching his way along the concrete to try to get over there and get in the pool? But why does he want to get in the pool? It doesn't even tell us. I love our King James Bibles. Verse 4 is missing. They have verse 3 and they have verse 5 because they number their Bibles by the King James Bible and they still do it. What in the world does he want to get into a pool when he's a crippled, impotent man? Do you know what's going to happen if he tumbles into the pool? He's going to drown. I love the Lord. I know I'm a little baby. Little things can humor me. And this little thing has humored me for 30 years now. And I just had to share it with you again. But angels were involved in health. Do you believe John 5.4? Do you think it's one of those places that men have added in, added in later just with wishful thinking for an angel that would come down and, and stir the water and give you good health? I believe it. Amen. And he's still able to do it. Those angels, you know, an angel rolled the stone away. Two angels told the apostles that Jesus was coming again. Those angels that opened the prison doors and said, go preach. The men said, don't preach. The angels said, go preach. And they went and preached. How did Cornelius find a minister of the gospel to tell him what to do? God sent an angel to tell him how to go find Peter. How did the Ethiopian eunuch... Do you understand that man was serious about worshiping God? He had traveled a long distance from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, and it tells us why. To worship. And what had he done there? He had bought some Holy Scripture. He had Isaiah 53, but he didn't know whether the prophet was talking about himself or some other man. Now that's a pretty high level of ignorance compared to what we know. But how do we get a man there to help him? An angel tells Philip, go down in the middle of the desert and find that Ethiopian eunuch. How do you think you heard the gospel? Did God make arrangements for you to hear the gospel? Hear the glad news, the good tidings of things? Were there dots that you can go back and you can connect and know that God was involved? You should be able to do that and you should do it. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Peters and your Corneliuses, Peter, Peter to Cornelius, Philip to the eunuch. Angels can do all kinds of things. The present ministry of angels. Be assured that angels do not bring new revelations, so we're not looking for that. Angelic activity still occurs, or Hebrews 1.14 has no meaning. Psalm 34.7, about the angel of the Lord, has no meaning. They're still active. They just don't display themselves visibly because we are in a mature state of the church 
where we operate by what is written, not by what we can see. God seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not in the visible, outward, carnal aspects of temple worship. That's why Jesus told the woman of Samaria, woman, you don't know what you worship because you're a Samaritan. And the Jews, they're not going to be worshiping there much longer anyway because God's seeking a whole new form of worship and it doesn't deal with outward sounds, outward sights, or outward anything. It is all inward and it's based on truth. The truth of God's Word operating on our spirits. We don't need angels to show up. We know they're there because our spirits believe the truth. I've mentioned a number of things that they're still doing. They still carry the righteous to heaven. I've mentioned that I'm supposed to think about them in not preferring one before another in church matters. The check on angels, I've already covered that. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Are there promises of angels? Yes, they're coming soon in flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Yes, there are promises about angels because those angels are coming from heaven and we will see them soon. The angels are going to gather together the good and the bad. They're going to throw the bad away into the lake of fire and the righteous will be in the kingdom of their Lord. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 25, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, the church at Thessalonica did endure a trial of afflictions. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Notice, there's one coming that's going to involve the wicked and the righteous. The mighty angels from heaven are coming in flaming fire to take vengeance on the wicked, and at the same time, we are going to glorify Him who's the lover of our soul because we love and adore Him because we have believed the gospel and we cannot wait for its fulfillment in His personal appearance to us. If we turn back just one page, at least in my Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says in verse 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The angels are still active and there's promises concerning them about coming. And 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we shall judge angels, meaning the fallen angels with the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall judge them. If you don't have a true and sincere relationship with Jesus Christ, then angels are not your servants. If you do not fear God, then the angel of the Lord is not encamping near you to deliver you in the way that He is those that fear Him. Understanding angels should deliver you from fear of danger and provoke us to greater righteousness. We should remember that our older brother, who died for us, has absolute and final rule of heaven's armies. You were made a little lower than the angels, but you've been promoted by adoption over them. If they're curious about your salvation, you should appreciate it so much more. If they rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents, we should also rejoice, and more so, 
if they are totally dedicated to pleasing and obeying God, then we should also, because we've been gifted with so much. They are our servants. We are the sons of God. Much more could be said. It's enough. May we live our lives as the sons of God, remembering that He rules in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, that they desire to look into what He's done for us, that they're the domestics of the household of God. We are the sons of God with one preeminent brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. They comforted Him. They ministered to Him. They strengthened Him. They rolled the stone away. They brought an earthquake. They knew where He was going when He ascended up into heaven. They worshipped Him when He arrived in Revelation 5. Let us worship Him. Let us live our lives with great courage, no fear, even when death approaches. If by God's grace we're walking in the Spirit and we remember the things of Scripture, that those angels are coming for us, we'll go up by a whirlwind into heaven. No one will see the whirlwind. They don't need to see it. We believe that it's there by the authority of God's Word. If someone comes to us and tells us, I've seen an angel and they told me this, that we ought to start doing this in our church, we'll just say bye-bye to them and their angel. May the Lord bless us to be faithful to His Word, to know that He is operating in this universe. I get so sick and tired, and I hope you do as well, that God is watching us from a distance. Oh, God has His angels all around us all the time. He is not watching from a distance. He has watchers that are real close at hand and they demand certain things to be done when someone's pride and arrogancy gets out of line like the king Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels, but he died alone for you and me. Then he was promoted to the right hand of God, as Ephesians 1 puts it, far above far above all principalities and powers, thrones, might, and dominion. Our Lord Jesus Christ, all glory to Him. Amen.